0: Welcome, it's lovely to see you. It's lovely to know that there's people that aren't here that are also part of what we're doing this morning. I'm, I'm glad that I can be part of this church family and part of preaching what for me has been one of the most profound preaching preparation times I've ever had in my life as I've been preparing this, parts of that, that I've preached on the series of how to transform a country. One of the things that struck me as I've grappled with God's word is there's so many parts of God's word and so many things that God speaks to us about that are are, are so incredibly easy. But then when you spend a bit of time with it, it's actually so incredibly difficult. I don't know if you know what I mean. You know, I mean, Jesus says, if if you want to keep all the laws, then you just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself and it's so easy, but it's also so hard. And the truth is, quite a lot of life is like that. It's a bit like playing the guitar. Playing the guitar is easy. I can play the guitar, I can. Don't laugh, it's true. Debbie, you don't help me when you laugh. Listen, somebody put your hand up when you recognize a song. Exactly. Hello, darkness, my old friend. See, it's easy. But it's not always easy. Because sometimes a thing can be easy like that, or sometimes it can be hard like this. And you can judge who's better at it after this. I'm not gonna ask. But you do, you you understand, we were doing the same thing. And and, and one of us was, one of us did it, and the other one did it so well. And that's what I love about God and becoming involved in God's kingdom because he takes our small, our little, our I can't really do this, and he turns it into something amazing it can genuinely be very easy and very hard at the same time. And as, as God's family here at, at, at Home Ground, as, as God's children, we, we genuinely believe that this time in the life of our country and in our church is a time where we need to grapple with the hard, to say, God, how is it that you want us to be part of not just transforming ourselves as individuals, or our church, or even the community around us, but transforming our country? And so we've had this amazing God that we have followed, this God for transformation, not just of ourselves, but of our country, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. And we've, we've grappled with it in, in terms of our own personal journeys, and in terms of the journey of our nation. And so let me remind you what our guide to transformation says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The last line, the kind of, okay, this is where we land this Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now of course, praying a prayer like that, we should look and see what we're praying. And on the surface of it, it kind of looks like we're praying something odd. God, don't lead us into temptation. I mean, what does Jesus mean when he says that? Because we know that theologically, God doesn't tempt us. We aren't the first people to grapple with that. As far back as 193 AD, an African theologian called Tertullian said this, far be the thought that the Lord should seem to tempt, as if he were either ignorant of our limits, of the limits of someone's faith, or eager to overthrow their faith. So so what is being said here? Because you know, if you if you wonder if you read something and say and it says that it feels to you like that doesn't make sense, then sometimes you have to go and look somewhere else in the Bible to help you make sense. In James chapter one, verse thirteen, it says this When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And so is Jesus asking us to pray something that's a fundamental contradiction here? Is Jesus asking us to pray something that we actually shouldn't pray? No, he isn't. You see, and the key lies in the word Jesus uses when he says, lead us not into temptation. The Greek word is a word, is the word parasmus. That's the Greek word that Jesus uses when he's teaching his disciples to pray. And like many words, not only in Greek, but in our own language, words can have multiple meanings. And in the Greek language, the word perasmos par- can mean temptation, or it can mean trial or adversity. And it's, it, it used to be used in the same way in the English language as well. But those meanings have faded. We've stuck with this one meaning about temptation, which is the whole thing of God actually, if you say he's tempting you, he's enticing you to sin. But the truth is, Jesus in this prayer is saying, when you pray, pray to the Father, please Father, don't lead us into trials. Don't lead us into adversity. Like any good child would say to their father, Dad, please, don't let us go to those bad places. Keep us from that, please. Lead us not into diversity. Here's another problem. The Bible also says that adversity can be really good for you. In fact, the same person who wrote that other verse, James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finish its work so that you may be be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so the truth is, the Bible teaches us that trials and adversity are actually good for us. So often they become the places where we grow. A famous preacher once said, I got my master's degree in theology when I was in trouble. I got my master's degree when I was struggling with trials and difficulties. And so what is going on here? What is Jesus saying to us? Is he asking us to pray something we shouldn't? Or is, is he wanting to, to kind of end this prayer by reminding us of something so fundamental should we be praying against this good thing? Jesus is saying, when you pray, remember it's us and our Father. And, and, and sometimes when we pray, we need to confess who we really are. And we need to, to pray, don't let us end up in temptation or in trial, Lord, because we know ourselves. We know ourselves, and we know that so often, Father, when we end up in a particular place, it ends badly. And so please protect us from those moments. Protect us from those zones where over and over again we end up falling. It's no secret. I love nuts of almost any kind, cashews. You know, I just, I love them. I love them. I cannot keep roasted, salted nuts in my house. I can't. When I buy them, I buy a a small amount because if I've got a big amount, two days and they're gone. And that's how I deliver myself from that evil. I just don't put it in my house. And God knows that. That yes, diverse, adversity often does build us up, but sometimes adversity does lead us into sin. It does lead us away from Him. And so Jesus is saying, because we know ourselves, because we are inherently prideful, selfish, and self-reliant, that we must pray those prayers as a reminder of how incredibly much we need God, a reminder that this isn't about us and our willpower and our strength and our goodness, it's about him and his kingdom and his goodness and his love. And so in a very real sense, this, this line is a confession. It's confessing to God, because imagine praying the opposite. Imagine praying the opposite, oh God, no, lead us into difficulties, it's fine, we can handle it. And you don't have to protect us from the devil because when he comes along, we've got it. You see, that's the opposite. And the truth is we are not like that. We know ourselves and so we appeal to our Father to protect us. We confess to him our need of him. If you remember last week, He said one of the keys to transformation of an individual or of a a group or of a nation is the idea of forgiveness. We need forgiveness in order to transform. And we need confession in order to obtain forgiveness. We need forgiveness in order to transform and we need confession in order to receive forgiveness. And so this idea that Jesus, as we pray this and us, us and him, and your kingdom, Lord, and your will, and it's about you, God help us. Help us never to end up in situations where we compromise the kingdom, where we compromise your love for us and our love for you. Don't lead us into adversity and deliver us from the evil one. But this isn't just about us as individuals, is it? It's about our country. That's what the series is about. And I think that as I've grappled with this series and with these verses, I think this is the most important part of the Lord's Prayer when we think about our country. Or in fact, when we think about any group that we belong to. This part, praying this prayer, not only on our own behalf, but on, on whoever the us is that we are, are asking God to help, whether it's our church or our life group or our nation. This is the most important part, honestly, I believe, of this prayer. And, and the number one place we, as God's people, can, can leverage the kingdom in order to transform our country You see, the truth is, countries or big groups are not good at humility, they're not good at selflessness, and they are not good at reliance on God. As soon as we begin to become part of a big group, we kind of feel we're more powerful than we were when we were on our own, don't we? Don't we? I mean, we've only been able to watch the news, not just in our own country, but in other countries and around the world to see that people and an individual would never do a particular thing if they were left on their own. But as soon as they become part of a group, a mob, or even a part of a nation, what do they do? They said, "I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. And the truth is that this is a massive temptation because as soon as we get together, we begin to feel more powerful. We begin to feel like we have it all. We begin to think that we are the answer to the problem rather than God being the answer to the problem. You see, you and I must pray this prayer for our nation again and again. Why? Because the truth is, countries love to play God. They love to play God. And sadly, they often love to use the church to give them credibility. If you're a history buff, you will know that the 30 Years War was kind of the last worldwide religious war. And and, and it it was part of the whole breaking up of the the Roman church, it was part of the Reformation, but countries in those days had state religions. And so, so wars were fought not just in terms of the country, but also in terms of God. And it was, at, at that, to that point, one of the most destructive wars in the history of mankind. And, and at the end of that war, nations felt that they'd solved this one big problem. And the problem was this, let's separate the church and the state, because this church, you know, they always cause wars. And if we can just have the state in charge of that kind of stuff, then, then the church, then these wars actually won't happen anymore. People genuinely believed that. And so, so the Treaty of Westphalia was signed, which said we will have peace now between nations, and we're not going to have this church getting involved anymore. Of course, officials of the church didn't like this peace treaty at all, but after that Human beings said, yes, now we're gonna live at peace with each other. Not so much. You see, because even though at one point nations said that, the truth is that again and again and again, when nations begin to go to war with each other, or when nations begin to want to do things even within inside their own borders, that perhaps are not what God wants, what do they do? They call on the church, and they say to the church, be with us in this. And the lines between what a nation is meant to do and what a church is meant to do often gets blurred. Even in wars that seem justified. Even when we look at it and go, yeah, no, that war really needed to happen because that side was evil and this side was good. Even when that happens, the state so often uses the church to kind of sanctify what they do. I think the First World War was one of those wars where, where honestly it feels to me like there was clear a good side and a bad side. You can unpack that. But, but it kind of feels maybe this war was justified. But... Listen to what theologians and pastors began to say to their congregations and their people as the nations were getting ready for this, up to that point, the worst war in the history of mankind. They were saying things like this. This will be a great and holy war. They said things like this. I think the church can best help the nation, first of all by making it realize that it is engaged in a holy war and not be afraid of saying so. Christ died on Good Friday for freedom, honor, and chivalry and our boys are dying for the same things. Or perhaps this, a group of theologians we endorse without qualification We endorse without qualification the nation's war policy as essential to the defense of Christian civilization. Clergymen had Jesus dressing in khaki and firing machine guns. The war became one not of justice, but of righteousness. See, we're not here to fix one thing. We're here to fix everything. Only God can fix everything. No individual or no nation can do that. The historian Joseph Laconte says this, none of these theologians found any difficulty in using fundamental tenets of the faith as warrants to justify war and mass destruction. None of them found any difficulty in using fundamental tenets of the faith as warrants to justify war and mass destruction. See, countries like to play God and they love to use the church when they do it. And as God's people, we cannot allow that. We, We must ask God, God, please don't let that happen. Now, don't get me wrong. Countries ought to pursue justice. Countries ought to to try and establish goodness in the world and and order things properly. That's good, they must pursue it. But the problem comes in when, when, when they try to replace God. And the reason countries can never replace God or never fully represent God or who he is is that because of Jesus, Because of the cross, because of the new covenant that was bought through Jesus' blood, no single national, political, or ethnic group are in themselves God's chosen people any longer. Because there's a new covenant, and God's chosen people are, are, are the church. God's chosen people are in fact in every nation and in every geographical place and in every ethnic group. That's the new God's people. And so there's no nation that can say God is absolutely on our side or no nation that can say we represent fully who God is to the rest of the world. It's just theologically not true. And so when a nation says we are doing this on behalf of God, we have to be so careful that they're not replacing themselves with who God is. Not only can no nation, no ethnic group, no grouping of people have exclusive right to who God is, but the truth is, when countries play God, even when they do good things, they often do them in such incredibly bad ways even when they try to do the right thing to save the world, the collateral damage, the the injustice that goes along with it is often appalling. Let's go back to that example of the First World War, that, that war to save civilization. Here are some statistics that come out of that war. 25% of the male population of France was wiped out in the First World War. 25% of the male population of France died in the First World War. After the war, between 1920 and 1923, Britain delivered 4,000 headstones a week to France in order to create cemeteries to bury their dead. For four years, every week, 4,000 tombstones were sent to France to mark the graves of British young men who died. During the First World War, about 465,000 soldiers were killed every year from 1914 to 1918. Half a million people a year. In a country like Serbia, who was kind of peripheral, although only 125,000 of their soldiers died, 650,000 civilians died in Serbia during the First World War from disease and from starvation and from being caught in the crossfire of the war. In France, 630,000 women became war widows because of the First World War. Let me be clear. Countries should fight against injustice. Countries should pursue peace. And God's people should engage in those and with those who seek justice and who seek righteousness. But so often countries blur the line between what we do and what God does. And so often countries use an excuse of a, a good justification to say, well, we can do anything we want because we represent God. And so we, we, we see it on the news right now where we just see the appalling end to what's happening in a place like Afghanistan where, where, where the truth was at the beginning people were saying, no, no, this is the right thing to do. followers of Jesus, the problem happens when we are tempted by our country to be loyal to our country rather than to be loyal to God. We should be loyal to our country. That's not a bad thing. But we must be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ first. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in our country, in my life, in my church, in my community, and in my whole country. And so we, as God's people, must pray this prayer Father, lead our country not into trials. God, help our country not to have to go to war. Help our country not to have to to do those kinds of things and engage in those kinds of things. May our country live by peace and justice. Lord, don't lead our country into trials, but deliver us from the evil one. Why, Lord? Because we know ourselves. We know that countries love to claim that God is on their side. We know that we love to overstep the boundaries and that even when we do good things, we end up doing them in terribly evil ways sometimes because we know, Lord, not just as individuals but as a country that we are prideful, selfish, and self-reliant. And so, Lord, lead us and lead our country not into trials but deliver us from the evil one. Why are we doing all of this? Why have we spent four weeks asking God how we can transform our country? Well, because we are God's people and we are God's people everywhere. And we are are asking God to help us to be the salt and light, not just in our home or in our business, but in our country as well. And because we are ambassadors of the real kingdom. Not the one that's powerful at the moment here on Earth, but the real kingdom, God's eternal kingdom. When you say the Lord's Prayer, you often end with something that's actually not in the Bible right now. You know that line at the end? Now, the reason it's not around anymore is that as people have translated and as people have done research, the older manuscripts, the earlier manuscripts of the Lord's Prayer, don't have that last line in it. it. It was added in later manuscripts. But it does give an amazing summary of why are we doing all this? Why? Why are we praying these things? Why are we saying this to you, God? Well, because yours is the kingdom. Not Ours is the kingdom, not our country's is the kingdom, not our church, not our people group, but yours is the kingdom. And yours is the power. Not our army, not the biggest army in the world or the, or the people with the most weapons or the best technology, no. Yours is the power. And God, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you, thank you that we can do something so easy and so difficult at the same time. Thank you that we can engage in transforming our nation. Lord, thank you that we can partner with you in in transforming ourselves, in transforming our church, and in transforming our country. God, help us as your people to grasp this moment And to begin right now, right now, before we walk out of this place, to transform our country in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Debs.
1: Amen. We've um, been given this beautiful template of prayer, um, and we want to just end off today with an opportunity for us to pray through that template. And so we're going to take a couple of minutes just to lean into that prayer, especially if you've been here for the last few weeks. Each of those lines and phrases will have so much meaning. And so I'm going to lead us through a time of praying into that prayer. I want to invite you to take up a posture of prayer, whatever you feel comfortable with. If you're at home as well, to do that. Um, You're not restricted to your chairs if you're in the building, but get comfortable. Close your eyes if you want to kneel, whatever you want to do. Um, And we are going to take a few moments just to pray. Um, A pastor in the States called Matt Chandler, he always says, um, pray what you've got. And sometimes we don't actually have the words, but to pray what your heart is saying. And so this morning I want to invite you, let's, let's pray what we've got. Um, so we're going to start with the words, our Father. So let's just sit with those words, our Father. Again, here's an opportunity to pray what you've got, because for some of us, saying, uh, seeing God as our Father is not, not that easy. Maybe our earthly Father wasn't a great place of safety for us. Pray what you've got. God, I find it hard to say that. But our Father, try picture him. Picture your Father, our Father in heaven. How is he looking at you? What's the expression on his face? Maybe you want to picture him on his throne in his glory. Maybe you wanna take a look around you and see who else is calling him our Father. Remember that his intentions for you are good. His plan for you is good. Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, not only in heaven, but the everywhereness of God. Take a moment to think about that, that He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. And so take a moment to think of the different places in your life, the places that are good. Picture those places right now. God is there. Imagine yourself pulling up a chair and invite him to sit with you in those places. And similarly, he's in the dark places as well, the places of incredible frustration, the places of pain. Pull up a chair and invite him to sit with you in those places as well because he is there. What about the dark places in our country? Our father is there as well. Welcome him there into those dark places of struggle the dark places in our own lives, the dark places in our country. Imagine him in those places. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Great be your name. Take a few moments to tell God, why is he so great? Proclaim those things. God, you are great because. Tell him what you're grateful for. Where do you see his greatness in your life? And where do you see his greatness in our country? Be specific. Think of those places, think of those moments where you see the greatness of God and thank Him for that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. In heaven what do you want to ask God here where do you want to ask for his will to be done in your life is it in your family is it in your workplace do you want to ask for his will to be done in your life or in your calling where do you want his will to be done Again, try to be specific. And where do we want God's will to be done in our neighborhood and in our city, in our province, in our country? Ask for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe you want to take a moment to identify something that you're holding on to really tightly. This is a great time to try and surrender that to God. So I'm holding on to this really tightly. I'm struggling to let go. I want to be in charge of everything. Take a moment to try and release that. Surrender it to God. To His will. Give us today our daily bread. What do you need? Ask God. You can also ask him for what you want. He might not get it, but he cares. Come to him with that question, God, will you provide for me? This is what I need. And then think about those around you, what do they need? Let's come to God and ask for our daily bread. Ask on behalf of those around you, those you know and those you don't know, what do we need? Then we're invited to pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us, ask God for forgiveness. Your own sin, Lord, forgive me for. You can fill in the blank, but also us, forgive us. Where do I need to ask God to forgive us as a church or us as a, a nation, us as a family? Forgive me for things that I've done and things that I've failed to do. Things that we have done and things that we have failed to do. Forgive us. And who is it that you need to bring before God and ask Him to help you to forgive? I need your help, God, to forgive whoever it is. Help me to let go of bitterness or of anger. Help me to forgive. What is is it that you need to lay down? Who do you need to bring to God today? then lastly lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one pray for the things that you are tempted by ask God to not lead you to those spaces or to those places of trial you know pray against the bad things and also pray for the good things ask God for good pray blessing over your life over your family over our country if you're currently experiencing trial or adversity, pray for His presence in that space. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.